0: Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the AWS Strategist. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined again by my colleagues, Brian Landerman and Ashit Bashojani. Today, we talk about hitting the target but missing the mark, how incentives drive behavior, and the concept of one-way door decisions versus two-way door decisions. Brian Ashit, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Jake.
0: So uh, today, um, I was was reminded um, one of my favorite topics, about how measurements drive behaviors and uh what reminded me of that was uh i read your blog post this shit on uh hitting the target but missing the mark mm-hmm. i mean I'm, I'm fascinated by this what can you maybe just kind of summarize what your what your uh argument was there and uh maybe we can discuss uh,
2: how we've seen it in our careers yeah sure um it's one of my favorite subjects as well the way i've always thought about it is uh Measurements help you course correct, uh, and as you're, let's say, driving a car or flying a plane, like in your case, Jake, uh, you use them to to make changes uh, and make sure that uh, you're course correcting to reach the outcome or destination that you're shooting for. When we mix targets and goals with the measurements that we use to improve and course correct, uh, I think they they then become uh, not the right measures or the right targets. And so the way I, very simply, I think it's the uh, Goodhart's Law that I kind of talk about in the blog, but I love it because it says that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. I find that many times in our journeys, whether it is cloud transformation or leading projects in technology, uh, we define targets that are fixed in nature. Right. Uh and they limit our uh horizon and our and and sort of uh, possibilities that we can go after. Uh they're also set in advance, uh, and oftentimes they are based on what we had done in the past. So if you uh achieve 10% uh cost saving doing something, well the target now is 15%, right? So uh starting with a baseline that is fixed and that is based on past um, limits the possibilities because uh, what is happening with digital transformation is that these changes can be order of magnitude different. And so what do you pick as a target? And then what do you pick as good measures to achieve that target is very, very important.
1: Yeah, Ishid I I like how you talked about um, sandbagging Right and your your example of the nail uh, factory, where depending on what you ask for, it's like it's like be careful what you ask for, um, <laughs> because what what they ended up getting was was kind of very far from their intention. Um, it's one of the reasons why at, at Cox Auto we didn't um, we measured it. I, I'm sure teams measured velocity, but it wasn't something that mattered to us in terms of. Were things on track? Was the team performing? And the, you know, the, the example that I, I give is that you know if you were to give somebody a new problem, something that they don't understand and need them to figure it out, it's new space. Would you expect that to go more slowly than something that is very known? Right. I'm, I'm making edits to something that I've been working on for years. Obviously, I know exactly how to go about doing that. So do you want to punish people because it might take a little longer, they might accomplish less because they're learning and, and tackling a new unknown challenge, we, f- we completely expect them to slow down. So why would we look at something that measures the consistency when we know that there isn't consistency in the problem set that, that we're, we're giving to the teams, right? So it's just kind of all around a bad measure from that perspective, because it doesn't take into account what we know to be true. True.
0: Can we give some examples of this?
2: Yeah, I think budgets. Budgets are a are a great example. Uh, and uh, Brian talking about sandbagging reminded me of budgets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's an annual ritual, right? That happens in many enterprises. We all have been through that. Um, and and budgets, uh, especially annual budgets that are set 12, 18 months uh, in advance, they they start with a baseline of a previous year, right? And typically they start with what, was already spent. Uh, and so that's a classic example of promoting this fixed thinking um, because generally you take that baseline and then depending on how the business is doing, uh, oftentimes in IT it's going down, um, but you know, sometimes you get some investment or it goes up from there, uh, but it limits you because now you're starting with a cost base that, is based on what you spent last year or historically, rather than actually starting from scratch and questioning that just because we have spent it in the past, does it mean we should still be spending? Or just because we have not invested in the past in something, uh, does it still make sense not to invest in? Uh, So the one way I kind of tried to uh, address this uh, during the budgeting cycle was uh, really sit down and and, and create this constraint-free thinking process, right? Where we, we, we say, well, what if we suddenly had X percent more budget, right? And this is wildly higher, right? 50% more money. Uh, what will we do? Uh, because that then surfaces opportunities that traditionally or conservatively you would not factor in the budget, right? On the flip side, mm-hmm. you say, well, what if we had to cut 50% of the budget? What will we stop doing? And then you start getting these Things that are prioritized, right? Because um, we sometimes do them just because we always done them, right?
0: Yeah, and something you mentioned in the blog, which is I think so important, is this idea of um, gaming the system. And I think uh, budgets are such a fantastic example of that, um, both in in companies and in in government and pretty much anywhere, right? Where you have this kind of annual process, you have people who are um, you know they're afraid to for, to lose their budget so they make sure they spend all of this year's budget and of course that's highly inefficient right and then of course the point you make where uh it limits and constrains our ideas because oh well that doesn't fit in the budget so we're not going to even consider doing that and so that mental exercise of imagining well what if that constraint wasn't there what if uh you had the budget what would you do
1: yeah I mean, I, I also, I think you guys are onto something here, right? It's it's for whatever reason, reminding me of why we don't really use PowerPoint internally at Amazon, and it's um, because it, it's very easy to tell a story. And we talked in a previous episode about telling stories, but when you can, you can paint whatever picture you want, right? And you can you can pull the data to fit your story and and make it seem true. And I. You know, I think that is another part of, of the whole budget process and, and that fixed nature where you spend a lot of time proving it to be that way and convincing somebody and, and it may or may not be what's really going on, what's really needed. Spending for the value you're getting and, and having a tighter line to that and being able to pivot and make those adjustments, you can uh, remove a lot of that bad behavior, that sandbagging, that um, storytelling, right, and I think that's kind of what you're you're talking about in the blog issue. Is that is all that kind of noise?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think the whole whole sort of annual process in some ways is designed to promote uh, uh, gaming, right? Uh, because uh, sa- if you're savvy, right, w- which most executives are, you know uh, what the business outlook mm-hmm. looks like, right, and so it starts with well, I'm going to put something here, uh, ask something here, uh, knowing fully well what's going to get approved. Uh, and then you already have le- levers in your back pocket that uh, if if uh, you get less than that, you still know where to pull the plug. In a traditional uh, way, the management of uh, finances have been looked at. Uh, it's considered a bad practice if you have to constantly go and say, well, I'm going to reallocate that money from here to there, right? Or I'm, I'm going to... Uh, actually need more uh, because you know what, based on the experiment that I ran, it looks like we should double down on this opportunity. Right. Or here's something that I thought would be a good idea, but you know, a month in and does not look like such a good idea. So uh, here I'm releasing that money back. Uh, I think it's a mindset shift to, uh, and it goes beyond it. It's a mindset shift across the organization where those kind of changes uh should really be welcome rather than uh, looked down upon. Right.
0: Instead of saying, you know, we're changing the plan mid-year and everyone kind of saying, oh, well, you know, you I guess your plan wasn't worth anything or, you know, you're indecisive. It's really, no, we discovered something new. We have new information or new insights that we didn't have before and we're going to act on them. We're not going to just blindly move forward because that's in the plan. And I think, you know, you made a point right there where it's it, this is bigger than budgets, it's the whole annual planning process that is, is a problem, right? Because if you look at it, and we've all been through this, there's a cycle that happens on an annual basis when you have annual planning. And um, you know and this is related to budgets. But in my experience, you'll have a few months at the beginning of, of the cycle where you're not doing anything because there's still approvals and, and all of that. And then you have a few months at the end of the cycle because you've spent all your budget, all the things you plan for either succeeded or failed. And and you end up working, I mean, really towards your strategic goals, maybe best case six months out of the year. And that's not efficient at all.
1: Yeah. No, it. it I mean, there are definitely some one-way door type of situations, right? Where, you know, let's just talk about um, AWS, building a data center. That's a big deal that requires a lot of investment. It does take time, right? I get how it's hard to be agile and like, oh, we, you know, we, didn't, we didn't know this was coming or we changed our mind, right? But I mean, that's why we have this mental model of one-way door and two-way doors. And I can see, take all the one-way door type decisions. But maybe you do need a longer type of budgeting process and, and need to think some of those things through. There's, there's a lot that goes into that, right? supply chain, whatever else. But for everything else, all the, the two-way door decisions, the things where it may not pan out, and we want to change course, or maybe we didn't know what was going on, we now, now want to invest. And I think that's where we really need to put our energy is how do we get as many things over into that two-way door type of situation, and then put a more agile planning process and, and, and you know budgeting process on those things at least as a starting point right that that at least to me feels reasonable
0: so i i agree with that but i think it it doesn't um it doesn't argue for an annual planning cycle i think what you're saying is something that could replace an annual planning cycle so like a one-way door you know being a decision that once you once you make it you're kind of committed to it it's very hard to back out and in a two-way door being a decision that um you know, argues for kind of having a bias for action and just doing it because it's very easy to reverse. Um, if we just look at all decisions like that, regardless of where we are in the year or where we are in, um, you know, the larger cycles and just say anytime during that, during the year, we can make a one way door decision and we can be committed to it. Totally. But all other times we recognize that it's a two way door. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be that, that annual cycle. It just has to be recognizing, the different types of decisions that we make and understanding the, the consequences of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're right. So you're, you know, we talk about like this idea of stage investments. And so, yeah, on two way doors, we'll do stage investments. We'll put a little bit of effort in, we'll put a little bit of money in and see how it's going. And to your point, yeah, that bigger one way door is a committed, you know, probably bigger investment that we're committing to follow through on. But yeah, no, it, it doesn't have to be an annual cycle.
2: You're right. I, I also, I think the mental model that I kind of, uh, to even one-way doors, right? That before you lead to a one-way door, there are a series of two-way doors that you've gone through to reach at that one-way door, right? So you're right. actually, True. before you make that big a decision, you have already experimented in some ways to figure out that this is a one-way door uh, decision. This is a significant investment that I cannot back out of that I'm ready to make at this point. Um, and so I think it's also thinking in that standpoint, which kind of goes with uh uh one of the topics that our team talks about often is is this breaking down the work right where you kind of take even the big uh scary decisions and then and then chunk them uh and make them into uh smaller decisions which may still lead to a big decision. Uh, but now you're uh, you're you're basically reducing the risk, the blast radius, uh, investment required, uh, and then the course uh, cost to course correct.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Well, so it's
1: it's hilarious that we're talking about planning right now. It's probably because we're <laughs> in the middle of it, and it's kind of all I've been doing. I know, Ishit, you're deep into it, Jake. Um, there have been a bunch of conversations, right, about. Eating your own dog food, and you're you're bringing up all the things that we talk about. And in reality, I mean, we're a two pizza team, right? I mean, we are a small team. There's like twelve of us, so we're we're maybe a three pizza team. But, um, you know, we're that we're that small team. We have our known boundaries and and have opportunities. And so we've been talking a lot about like for us, like what's a flat plan? A flat plan is. Doing everything this if, if nothing changes, you're you're doing kind of you know business as usual is look to invest and and get more efficient with what you have. Right? But that's it's not the traditional IT perspective on driving costs down and efficiencies and whatever else. It's more about um, well, it's about efficiencies, but not from that. It, it feels different to me. It's like, hey, are there processes you can automate? You know, are there things that we could do to take away some of the things that hold us back um from being more effective? And so it's a lot of those things and it's on a very reasonable, manageable, kind of tangible level. It's not like, oh, we need to go implement some huge, you know, off-the-shelf software massive thing for us, you know. It's like, yeah, let's no, let's run some experiments and and work to do better and try these different things. And uh, it feels much more experimental. And and all of those experiments are against our committed ideas that of of the direction we believe we want to go in. We don't know how we're going to get there. We just know that this is the right direction. We have this data supporting that it's the right direction. And we're going to run a whole bunch of experiments and try to automate some things in order to achieve those goals. And um, it does. It not, I don't want to say finally, but you know, I've been here a little over a year, and for me now, kind of being embedded in this process has been super interesting to um, to see that we can eat our own dog food. Sorry, not to take you guys on yeah. a tangent, but it's planning. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm in it right <laughs> now. No, but I think the point that you made, Brian, is is an important point, right? Is that um, uh, from Amazon, what we talk about is that we focus on input measures right we while we deeply care for outcomes and output but we focus our energy on controllable and actionable input even in our planning process because that's what you are controlling uh that's the lever that you have to achieve the outcome and output and and i have had interesting debates uh with customers about this right because when you talk about uh focusing on input One immediate reaction that you get sometimes is, Well, does that mean you're not outcome oriented? Right? Well, that's not true. You're actually deeply outcome oriented, but you don't reach your outcomes by just saying, Well, I want to reach that outcome and that's the goal, right? You do that by breaking down that outcome into a series of steps, experiment, and then figuring out what are the inputs. That you're putting in and controlling throughout the process to get to that outcome,
0: right? It's it's making a distinction between the things you can control and the things you can't control. So so what you measure is is going to determine how you behave, right? And how you behave is going to determine the results you get. Um, you were saying earlier about, and it's interesting because as I'm listening to you talk about your your how you how you ran your team, uh, previous, um, you know, using the example of well, what if you had a limited budget, what would you do then? It's very similar to kind of what we do at Amazon when we talk about think big, Mm -hmm. right? So we have different, like Brian was saying, different kind of uh, layers to our plan. Um, and, and kind of that final big one is, well, what's your think big idea or think big ideas? Um, and, and, uh, I think it's important to have those because, um, again, like if you're, if you're limiting yourself to what you think you can accomplish, and you're setting your goals there, then I mean, nothing, nothing, I think big idea will never happen if you, if you never ask the question, right? You can't rely on just chance for that to happen. You have to be specific about it. And so in my, my previous experience, I would always, um, you know, I, I would kind of set all my goals that way. It's kind of like, let's start with what we want. What's an ideal state here. What's like a best case scenario, you know, times, times 10, and let's set our goal there. Uh, it's something that I've actually in the few times that I've blogged, it's one of the things I've blogged about. Um, it's about um, it's sometimes better to set your goal too high, miss the mark than it is to set your goal too low and hit the mark. And so I I really like that idea of setting your goals as think big goals and um, you miss the mark and you're still very successful.
1: Yeah, I do too. But I will say I've been on the other end of that. Someone else is setting that impossible goal, and it it can be hard, right, to see to know that it's like there's no way we're going to hit that. You're crazy, but I mean, we've talked about the power of constraints, right? And I do, um, I think I've said this. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but my you know my boss used to add, as a joke be like, you know how they make diamonds? <laughs> Pressure, um, and you know when he would he would use that that kind of big goal as a way to force the team to go above what they might have otherwise put in extra effort, really reach for it. And, and to your point, we ended up better than where we would have having reached for that higher goal, but it, it, it's not without stress or, or pressure on the, on the team. And so I think it's, you have to be careful with it. I, I agree. It's a good tool and it, it is effective. Um
2: Right. They're, obviously, not the only tool. Balance.
0: There's a reason why not all of our goals are think big goals.
2: That's right. Well, yeah. that's right. Yeah. 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 I think it's a you. You're basically expanding the realm of possibilities constantly, but at the same time, it, they have to be. They have to be realistic because otherwise, I think you also deeply affect the morale of the team beyond just the pressure because you constantly feel like you're not being you're not achieving what you're setting out to do. So I like the SMART model, right? The specific, measurable, actionable, realistic and time bound uh, when, when you set the goal. But then you also, I think that's where annual planning process actually plays a big role. Uh, and, and the way we think about that at Amazon is that that's really for your long-term thinking, right? That's where you can set your eyes on things that uh, are not, for next six months, three months, five, uh, eight months, right? You're actually placing some long-term bets um, and expanding those uh, those horizons.
0: Right. But again, I'm not against the long-term uh, thinking. I'm just against the, you know, only doing it once a year and limiting yourself to that, right?
1: So I think they're two distinct ideas. I totally agree. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I, I struggle a little bit and I'm not sure if it's me, like me personally, um, or if it's been ingrained in me. Probably through, through the system. Sure. It probably <laughs> is. <laughs> Guys, I didn't even say it yet. I, I didn't even say it yet. Um, <laughs> but the, it's like this think big. Like, I wonder if the planning and all of the things that we're talking about in the timeline-based piece and, and the constraints. Like it's also, it can be difficult to free yourself so much to think outside the box, to think about what, you know, you look at what Amazon has done. Some of some companies would say it is impossible. Like they just wouldn't tackle it. It's either a mature space or, you know, too hard to pull off or whatever, whatever you want to say about it. And yet we've overcome those constraints and, and, and place bets on these big ideas. Um And so sometimes I find myself struggling to, expand my mind uh, to see the, the, that broader set of possibilities. And again, I don't know if I'm, I'm a product of my environment, right. And that's been ingrained in me or if, if I'm the problem, I know Jake, you already answered the question. So I know where you stand. weigh in. <laughs> It's,
0: it's not just us though. I mean, our customers are, there's several examples of, of our customers that have done similar things. You know, you look at Netflix or you look at some of the yeah, you know, capital absolutely. one, or you look at some of the less Um, well-known examples, John Deere with what they've done with the, um, using big data. I mean, so many of our customers have, have done that. Um, it's, 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 it's obviously not something that's specific to one organization or even one way of thinking, right?
1: That's true. But that, you know, I guess it's that idea of doing it repeatedly and having it become part of the fabric of the organization and, and, or of the team. I think that's what becomes challenging. Like, I mean, what there's some saying about lightning striking, whatever, but like, you know, I mean, having one one big idea once is is great and could pay off huge and, and could be enough. Mm-hmm. But I think you know re, what you're really talking about with this think big is how do we do that on a repeated basis? It's not a one time right. thing. It's not a, a an annual thing. It's should be all the time. Yeah. You know?
0: Because you never know when people are going to have great ideas and you have to have a culture and you have to have mechanisms such that when those ideas come, you can execute on them. I think the two-way door, one-way door model is is helpful with that. But at the end of the day, I would say it's a cultural thing. The companies who have a culture that encourage that tend to be able to execute on those big ideas. And the ones that have cultures that kind of uh, dissuade people from
2: executing on it, they uh, they tend to not. Yeah, and I think that's where we, uh, in one of our past episodes around uh, uh, surviving and thriving in disruption, uh, we spoke about the fact that it is not one thing, right? You can't just take one piece of the puzzle or an ingredient of somebody else's recipe and then say, well, why didn't I get the same uh, dish on my plate, right? Um, yep. it, 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 is, it is all of it. It is about how you hire, how you recruit, what culture you have. Uh, what mechanisms you have put in place uh, to, for that culture to then uh, function and take these ideas, what kind of organizational structure that you have. So I, I think it's it's not um, one component. It's all of these things working together.
0: What you guys are talking about here in the six page and all of that, that's an example of a, a mechanism that works, right? And I think that's like a proof that mechanisms work. So you, you, you have a process with inputs and outputs, and you, and you refine that process over time, right? And so then it looks easy once you've refined that process. But in the beginning, I'm sure I wasn't around when the six-pager was kind of uh, that mechanism started here, but uh, I'm sure it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't as streamlined back then. But the way we're seeing it and the the version of it that we're using is a very refined version. And that's the beauty of mechanisms is you just refine them and they get better. And that's where you focus your effort is on making that process better rather than just trying to make each individual work of art as good as possible. Well, uh, this conversation was uh, about as good as I expected it to be. So thank you guys. Um, I will uh, look forward to our next conversation.
2: Awesome. Good luck with the planning process. We'll need it. (laughs) Got a (laughs) week.
0: (laughs) As always, remember to submit your questions on the Enterprise Strategy blog or reach out to us directly on LinkedIn. And we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.